I love how you said light and restoration is the heart behind the ACE Institute because it's not just rescuing someone or giving them a program. It's being there with them hand in hand almost to help them walk through those next steps and in the stage of thriving. Because if someone has gone through traumatic experiences, whether a child or an adult, you can take them out of that situation, but when they lay their head down at night and they're not with the people that they grew up with or love, their partner, that void is going to eat a hole away at their soul. And they need other helpful resources to be able to cope with those feelings. I don't hear a lot of people talking about that, but I know because I hear the stories. Why did you go back? I couldn't stand sleeping by myself anymore. Sounds trivial, but it's a big thing. Childhood trauma creates this feeling of not being safe, whether it's physical safety or psychological safety. And so if we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that triangle uh, of Maslow, at the bottom we have the, the basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter. And what I noticed in, with children in foster care is we can provide them with that. But then the next one is safety. These children would run away. These children would not form relationships. These children would not form attachments. And so with those kids, their their basic needs are met, but their safety needs were not. So they are constantly looking for ways to feel safe. And so they trigger a lot with things like rejection and they'll act out with rejection. And, and a lot of people don't understand they'll what the behavior they're seeing looks defiant. They're just being defiant. They don't like to be told no. And and when you go back though and you look at their history, when you're really doing a trauma history on them and you see all the rejections that they've experienced, they've been rejected by their parents because their parents have not done what they needed to do to get them back. They've been rejected by their peers at school through bullying. They've been in foster care and maybe they've bounced around foster care in multiple placements. You know, I've seen kids have as many as 80 placements in foster care. And so just think about, you know, your own personal dating life after you reached out there and, and tried to get a date five or six times and you keep getting shut down and people tell you, no, you're eventually going to stop asking people out. And so that's the same way with the kids is after about that fourth or fifth foster home and your parents have not gotten you back, you start believing this lie that nobody wants you. And so you don't feel safe around people. Maybe your social worker has left too and now you've got a new social worker. And so all the significant people in your life have left you, they've abandoned you, or they've rejected you. And so you build up this this wall where abandonment and rejection are your triggers. You're so afraid of it. So again, going back to safety, you feel unsafe and you're triggered a lot. You want that sense of belonging and you can't ever find it. And so that's where you see these victims of domestic violence going back back to their offenders, where where you see um, human trafficking trafficking victims going back to their traffickers in foster care when you've been when you've been rejected so many times by foster parents and, and shelters and your workers and you're getting blamed for your behavior you realize that um or you feel like you're unwanted and you are unworthy and um, this trafficker over here will take you back every time he gives you some work you know to him, you're worth $1,000 a day, and so he convinces you that that's what real worth is. He convinces you that he will fulfill all of your needs, and they will actually run away from foster care and go back to their traffickers because 
for the first time ever, they actually feel like they have a little bit of value. He's using them and abusing them, but they, they feel like somebody wants them. They have the food, clothing, and security and safety at the foster parent's house, but they don't have the psychological safety and they don't have that sense of belonging. So they'll go back to the trafficker because he feels that need for them. Unfortunately, he's going he's gonna to hurt them too. He'll eventually sell them and, and shatter that illusion that he once built for them. But childhood trauma creates a lot of psychological and, and physical safety issues, the sense of belonging. It's hard for these survivors to find a, a healthy way to get those needs met. And so you see them trying to get those needs met in unhealthy ways. What the ACE study in the 1990s showed us was that children who have experienced childhood trauma later on in life develop health issues like lung disease and heart disease and are more likely to smoke or more likely to drink, more likely to develop substance use disorders. They're more likely to die early if they have experienced multiple types of child trauma over a long period of time. And so the research shows us that the childhood survivors of trauma are not thriving and they're dying early. That's, that, is, that is medical research that's been done. Yes. So the, the goal of ACE Institute is to come in in between what happened and that end result and try to find a way to bring awareness about ACEs because so many professionals in the community do not understand what childhood trauma does to an individual and how it lingers and has all these lifelong negative effects. Then we want to provide continuing education to the professionals. So the awareness is for the community. Continuing education is for those professionals, those helpers that are out there in the field every day that were like me that didn't fully understand this. The education part is to give them the tools that they need. And we do that through contracting with other experts out there. My expertise is child abuse and neglect, child trauma. I'm partnering with other experts. Um, who are experts in other fields like juvenile justice and domestic violence like you guys. In treatment of trauma, there's, uh, there's, I've got several friends that are therapists, law enforcement officers, and what have you, and leaders who understand trauma-informed leadership. So the goal is to partner with those experts to bring that training that I'm not the expert in. And then we have the advocacy part. We want to be a, a resource for providers to find the interventions that they need in order to provide the right services to their survivors. We want to be a place where survivors can come in and find resources for themselves. I want to work with the survivors that are out there that want to share their story so that they can be the light for another survivor. There's a lot of peer support research out there that shows that, and, and I'm sure you see this in domestic violence, when you have a thriver, a survivor of domestic violence that is thriving, and you bring new people into your shelter and they can see that person who used to be in their situation is now thriving, it gives them hope. You see it a lot in substance abuse centers where you've got the former substance users in there who are saying, hey, I was able to get clean. I was able to break the cycle in my life. And that's what part of the advocacy portion is, is finding those 
survivors of these experiences who are thriving and getting them to help share their stories to professionals and saying, hey, I experienced this. And if you had done X, Y, and Z, that would have helped me back then. But then also with survivors, so survivors can see I'm here right now and I can get to that point where they are because if they did it, I can do it. So we just want to be that connecting piece for, so that survivors can see that they can thrive too, if that makes sense. Yeah. One thing I keep hearing you come back to is making that link, bridging that gap with education. And it can look different. I know with law enforcement training and community training with what we do at Care Lodge, a lot of times when we're speaking to law enforcement or medical staff, or social work professionals, teachers, they look at the surface stuff like what we were just saying. And maybe the right questions aren't asked or they don't make time to ask those right questions. And they get very frustrated with the individuals who are acting out or being non-compliant. We see this a lot with law enforcement in helping victims of domestic violence because they don't want to cooperate. They don't want to press charges. And fortunately, in the state of Mississippi, there's a law that says if a law enforcement officer has beyond reasonable doubt that domestic violence occurred, that they can press charges in behalf of that victim to help them. Because when a victim has to press charges against their abuser, who is somebody that has said, I love you for so long, has provided that false sense of security and belonging, like you said, the conflict on the inside is so great. And I know you know what I'm talking about that oftentimes they want to run back to the judge and say, I want to dismiss the charges. I don't want to do this anymore. We're okay now. We're okay. That inner tornado starts taking over, the trauma starts taking over, and they're not thinking through. They're just terrified. 